Hey, what's going on, drinking buddies? It's the night before I leave for AVN 2018. It's a new year. Once again, thank you for all your support. Shit. Thank you for tuning in every week. Do us a solid. Go to iTunes. Rate us five stars if you could. It'd be super appreciated. Better we are in the ratings, better better guests we can get for you. Not that the guests we aren't getting right now are pretty fucking great. I gotta say, I may have had a couple while I was doing the edit for this week's episode. This shit happens. Uh, before we get into that, a word from our sponsors. This week's episode is brought to you by our homies at Laughable. Laughable is the number one comedy podcast app on iOS. Not only can you subscribe to your favorite artists, your favorite shows, they give recommendations that you can buy comedy tickets and app. is fucking amazing. Get it today in the iOS store. If you're an Android user, go to www.laughable.com and get on the waiting list. You will not be sorry when they roll that shit out. Also, we are brought to you by our friends at Ghost Tequila. Ghost Tequila is a 100% agave, 80-proof Blanco tequila infused with ghost peppers. Oh, dude. Dude. I really wish I wasn't out right now. I could go for a shot for it. Shot of it? I could go for a shot of it. If you're at AVN 2018 in Vegas, find me. There will be ghost tequila with me. We'll do shots. It'll be rad. So now that we got you know the pan folks out of the way... This week, our guest is the one, the only, Mr. Jimmy Broadway, the fetish director. Been responsible for a lot of amazing fetish films. The man behind Severe Society Films. Check it out. We go all over the place. Fetish, real life play, a little bit of politics, just a little, just a tad. It happens to happen when we drink. This was a super fun one. We get into films. We get It's all over the place, guys. So enjoy Mr. Jimmy Broadway. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Oh, hey, I'm happy to have you. We were talking before you got on air about that you used to do independent short films, stuff like that before you got in the biz. Mm-hmm. So what brought the transition from? Oh, uh, well, we'll take it back all the way to the beginning. I started uh, long, long ago, uh, early 80s. Okay, awesome. Uh, doing local access cable. Uh, I, uh, commentated the first thing I ever did in television was commentating as I shot high school soccer. Very cool. Had a small microphone taped to the side of the camera and I just panned back and forth up and down the field and in the, back in Connecticut where I grew up, the cable franchise laws were such that they had to provide public access in every community that they had a franchise. 
And our cable company was kind of smart. They said, you know, why should we pay rent on a, a space when we can go to the high school and the library and say, hey, we'll give you some equipment if you give us a place to put it. So the public access in our town was run through the high school and the library. And our high school had a cable television station that aired stuff every Friday and Saturday. We had a talk show. We had a news show. We did most of the high school sports. Uh, all the concerts, uh, school plays, all that stuff. Very cool. I'm re- actually really curious because you know, I obviously wasn't working in film in any way, shape, or form at that point. What goes into editing VHS? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> That we were not really in the editing stage, so what went on the tape went on the air, uh, which got several people in trouble over the course of a season. I can imagine Uh, tempers flare. People say things that shouldn't uh, go up. It's not so much tempers because our our high school high school soccer team uh, boys and girls both won the state championship that year, so there was a whole lot of temper, but uh, there was a fair degree of stupidity. You're dealing with high school students. Exactly. <laughs> what happens? Uh, but, yep, jumping ahead a couple of decades, uh, we and my wife and I were both involved in a co-op uh, made prim- uh, primarily of uh, screenwriters who had gotten frustrated and they had all these great ideas and nobody would ever make them into movies. I said, well, we've got enough people that we could make a movie. And they made one and then came to me for a little technical advice. And I joined the group and we made, I believe, 60 short films over four years. That's really impressive, actually. Uh, And it was the the secret to it was that everybody was involved. So you do, you know, direct your project. But the person who directed the last project might be your sound guy. And person who's directing the next project might be doing your catering. And eventually we kind of full into, fell into roles that we were all comfortable with, but it was a whole lot of that group effort that made it possible to crank out that kind of volume because you weren't always the producer and the director and the writer. So you could take a couple of months off to work on the development side of your project until it was time to actually shoot it. Well, and that's great because you had people that were actually dedicated to getting stuff done and were you know willing to actually be part of a community, but well, you, you don't see much of that anymore. And you had to care, yeah. Because if you didn't care about somebody else's project, they were gonna weren't gonna care about yours, and then yours was gonna fail, and you were gonna be sad. And nobody wants that. No, uh, but the group uh, actually turned out to be quite successful. Uh, got a number of things into a number of festivals. Uh, and that was back before, really, there was internet streaming. So the uh, company called Atom Films had just come up with a website where you could submit stuff, uh, but they were very, they didn't take a whole lot. And since they were the only ones really doing anything out there, they were getting a ton of submissions. Oh, I'm sure. And this is the days when storage space was at a premium. Mm-hmm. So that makes sense why they didn't take everything. I'd hate to think what how much YouTube spends in their storage, even though they're Google and have yeah unlimited, but it's still got to be a fucking ton. I, did, I wonder, actually, I'm kind of curious if there are stats on how much actual data YouTube takes up. I know that it's 
physically impossible to watch everything that is uploaded to YouTube in one day in, a, in the average human lifetime. Oh, yeah. It's, it's a staggering amount that is uploaded daily. I think it was something like 40 terabytes, if not more, like a day or a minute. I, I, I would go with the minute on that one. I may be just talking out of my ass. I've been known to do that once or twice. Now, if we're talking talking asses, that's a completely different movie. <laughs> have you made that movie? We have not made that movie. Um, but if we, were, if we were to, Charlotte, who we were discussing earlier, would have to be the talking ass. Oh, of course. Her ass is so hungry. It's, <laughs> it's funny because in the AVN Fan Awards... I believe it's the AVN fan. One of the either the AVN or the Xbiz fan awards. There is a category for best ass, and she's nominated. And people were giving him shit about it. It's like, yeah, you know, wh- why is this? I mean, it's skinny, and it's like, have you seen what that ass can do? Do they need it, to make it? A- it's not just a pillow sitting there on the bottom of her tailbone. That thing has a, a personality all its own and talents that are just beyond comprehension. Maybe they need to make, you know, best anus and best butt. Yeah. Two separate categories. So you have the girls that you have the Alexis Texas ass mm-hmm. comp- not competing against girls like Charlotte who's you know, her ass will eat everything. <laughs> yes. One day it will devour you the know, world. You, you get this <laughs> the random text from, from Czechoslovakia. Actually, it's the Czech Republic now. And she's over there shooting. Hey, did triple anal today. And I was like, okay, how do you even position the guys for that? I don't even know. I'm, I, I wouldn't even. Because at a certain point, it's, it's not so much about what's going in. It's just how to get all the accompanying body into a position to make it happen. And make it in a position where they're open to be filmed, too. Right, like, yeah. So, back to what we were talking about on the on the YouTube front. A report from 2012 says there is 4 billion video views per day and uploading 60 hours of video every minute. And that's from 2012. Okay. So, in the next... It's probably doubled. Um, according to this, in 2012, it was up 25% that year. Okay. So, who two, three hundred percent since then, I would guess. Easily. Yeah, 2012, we didn't have smartphones that could you just you know, stream right to YouTube. Mm-hmm. That, wow. That's crazy. That is absolutely nuts. But sorry, got sidetracked there. Once or twice, but it was an interesting journey. <laughs> so, you go, went from, you know, so, this collective. So, we had the short film collective, uh, and my wife and I are actually both lifestyle fetish players very cool uh and we were going to this club that was held at a professional dungeon down uh in lennox and every time we went in there the the owner of the club would hit up d and go hey if if you ever want to come work here i'd love to have you and after about two years of this we had a little talk about it and she finally decided to go give it a try um realized that she didn't really like being a professional dominatrix at a house. Uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with houses of domination, you pretty much 
don't get a lot of ability to screen your clients. It's mm. whoever walks in the door is the client of the night. I mean, yes, they they check for for cleanliness and safety, and you know, make sure he's not you know doesn't have a machete in his bag and uh, you know a drawer full of meds or something. But uh, you know, if he's into something that you're not into, you pretty much if you want to get paid that night, you you got to pretend to be into you it. Pretend to be into it, and she wasn't real thrilled with pretending but the guy who hired her uh had also produced two dvds um was looking to produce a third found out about our our film work and asked if we would do his third dvd um that one turned into five um that was in the early days of clips for sale so we opened four clip stores for him and spent two years running his video department very cool uh realized that if we were going to still be friends, we probably shouldn't have a business relationship. Yeah. It's, he was a nice guy, but not a nice boss. Uh, had some technical comprehension issues. It's like, why does it take so long to edit? Uh, and I want to change these three things. What do you mean it won't be ready till Tuesday now? Uh, but What, do you just think you're going to wave a wand over it? And- mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. The concept of rendering was lost on him. (laughs) And that's still the, you know, 12 years later, still the bane of our existence is render time. Uh, It's just, you put it, put it on the computer right before you go to bed and you wake up in the morning and you've got video. Hopefully. Hopefully. Sometimes you're 50% to video. Mm -hmm. Oh, I know. I know those pains. (sighs) So we, uh. Went out on our own as Severe Society Films, and we did that for oh, about eight years and decided to, we had to upgrade our distribution, which is when we signed a deal with Exile, and under the advice of Howard Levine, who is the best distributor, distribution manager type person one could ever ask for. Uh, we rebranded the company as Severe Sex, and now we're here. Awesome, awesome. So I don't know how comfortable you are about talking about your play in your personal life on air. Well, ask questions. I can always say I'd rather not talk about that. But That's fine. Play. I mean, feel free to be like, fuck yeah. you, Matt. That's, beyond the, that's over the line. <laughs> so what sort of stuff are you guys into? Like, I am so vanilla. I am. And I shouldn't be, but I am. Why shouldn't you be? Are are you happy? Are you satisfied? Yeah, but maybe there's more I'm missing out on. Well, that's a possibility. But if if you're happy with what you're doing and it's doing it for you, then there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, but I didn't know I liked skydiving until I did it. True. Uh, I mean, I would suggest... Just start looking at movies, and if you see something in there that, hey, that looks interesting, find somebody who's willing to try it with you. Uh, I mean, you don't have to go right out and, you know, dive off the deep end right away. You can take baby steps. Uh, that doesn't I mean, sound as much fun, though. <laughs> there, there are professionals out there that can, can guide you. Uh, a lot of people don't realize that. It, there's nothing wrong with seeing a professional, you know, sex worker to 
experience something that you haven't been able to find in day-to-day life. Uh, I definitely agree. I I think there's absolutely no... I can talk tonight, too. I don't think there's anything wrong with sex work in any way, shape, or form. I wouldn't be sitting here if I did. For me, in previous experiences, sex work didn't really appeal to me. Mm-hmm. Like I have no problems with it, but it's just like the very transactional like business nature of it didn't appeal to me. But when you went skydiving, did you just like grab a buddy who you knew had skydived before or did you go to a skydiving school and make your first jump with an experienced professional? Well, technically both, but (laughs) (laughs) okay. I grabbed a buddy and said, Hey, we're going skydiving. And then we went to a professional. Mm -hmm. So there's nothing wrong with going to that professional. They, it's going to give you a better feel for the actual experience And it's a lot safer, depending on what you're trying to experience. Definitely. Yeah, no, I've never really thought about it that way. Uh, And I know plenty of professional doms and dominatrixes that are more than happy to work, not in a, like, complete session mode, but to give you, give people the experience. And a lot of times they'll work with couples. You'll you'll get a, a couple that, you know, hey, we've been thinking about trying this and we're not sure how it works. And the pro will kind of guide them through it together and and show them how it works. Yeah. So it's kind of like advanced sex ed. <laughs> uh, basic sex ed was not good. Well, I think I feel like at the time all they were trying to do is scare you into not having sex. <laughs> like, this is what horrible genital warts look like. If you have sex once, you will get this. Oh, no. This is a horrible, horrible syphilis scar. You will get this if you have sex. (laughs) I feel like that's all they were really trying to teach you at the time. I don't don't really remember much from the specifics of our sex ed. It's like I remember they told us what the parts were and where they went. And that's about all I remember from it. Well, they, I, they definitely didn't, you know, teach you that, hey, this is pleasurable or, mm-hmm. you know, masturbation's okay. They're definitely in sex ed was no talk about self, self, eh, self-stimulation. I can really talk to them. I'm going to drink more. Maybe that'll help my cadence. Speaking of which, how do you like the Willet? I, I love the Willet. It's, uh, it's a very smooth uh, cocktail. Uh, yeah, no, I, I'm really digging it myself. They should definitely rehash sex ed everywhere, especially some parts of this country where they're teaching abstinence. That's just crazy to me. I don't have a problem with teaching abstinence as long as you teach it as one element of the big picture. Because I I think there's definitely a place for abstinence. And I think, you know, kids should know... It's okay if if you don't want to have sex or you don't feel comfortable having sex, don't have sex. Not doing it is okay right now or anytime. Oh yeah, no. It's if per- if you're just not in that place right now, don't do it. Uh, and I think if they, instead of making it this big scary, this is what you must do, but they presented it as an option, I think they might find that more kids 
would be okay with abstinence because it's, yeah, I know what I could do, but I also know that I can do this rather than that this is the only thing you should do in which being rebellious teenagers, they go, fuck you. I'm going to do what I want to do and go completely the other way. Well, if they teach abstinence is okay as part of the big picture, you also wouldn't have people that are, there wouldn't be a shame behind abstinence at that point. Exactly. Because, you know, I definitely remember being a teenager being like, what, you can't get laid? And there's shame in that. So as a 16-year-old male, you're, you know, you're hunting for sex. Oh, yeah. Well, that and your hormones tell you you have to. I mean, now I don't know how old you are, but, I mean, at least for me, it was so bad that we would sit there and kind of stare at the scrambled cable channels. Yeah, I did that. I think that's a nipple. Ooh. Yeah, I'm I'm 36, so I experienced the scramble. Okay. I thankfully didn't grow up in the age of internet porn. I feel that ruined. We have a whole generation of people just ruined by it. Uh, I wouldn't say ruined. I would just say in need of a lot more help. It just it that it being so readily available, I feel fucks up people's expectations. That I can agree with. People are, you know, I hear, I've read articles about kids these days, kids these days, <laughs> you know, using porn as essentially sex ed, thinking that porn sex is what real sex should be. Right. Which it and that's definitely because there is no real sex ed to counter that, so. And even if there is good real sex, uh, wow, I'll have to apologize. I'm on like three hours of sleep, so. My brain is apparently not working. The real, you know, real sex ed isn't this graphic, and you definitely couldn't pleasure yourself to it. So as a teenage male or a teenage female, you get exposed to, oh, hey, there's two people getting on. That brings me pleasure. Mm-hmm. Well, that's obviously how it's supposed to be. I've never asked a partner to open up in real life. And they True. don't know that. And and the thing is, you see stuff on camera, and there's no talk of how they do that. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not really sex. It's because there's no instruction involved in it. It's just seeing the end. It's like handing somebody a cake and expecting that, oh, now I know how to bake a cake because I have a cake. No, you don't know how to bake a cake. You just have a cake. Yeah, you know how to eat cake. Yes. I couldn't agree with you more. But what do we do about it as a society? Oh, as a society, I think we, and it's going to be a struggle, because in the current political climate, it's an uphill battle, but for the overall benefit of us as a society, we have to have comprehensive education. Definitely. We also need to decriminalize sex work. We also need to mm-hmm. get rid of the stigmas of it. While I was in Amsterdam, me and my buddies were talking about this. Like, could you imagine growing up in a place where prostitution was not only legal but readily accepted? Think about that being a 16-year-old male and being like, in two years, I can just go to the red light district. It would totally change your attitudes about sex. Yeah. Because, number one, you wouldn't feel this pressure to like 
you know, drag your partner into something that they're not ready for. Uh, with a little experience, your first time with a new person is going to be better. Definitely. Uh, and it's not going to be frightening if one of you is really good the first time, which I know puts a lot of pressure on, wait a second, how did they figure out all that? Uh, and that that attitude has to go the way of the dodo, too. Like I want a partner who's experienced. Sex isn't Mount Everest. You're not planting a flag. So you've had a lot more partners than me. Guess what? We're here together tonight. Yeah. That's the important part. I'm not a goddamn Adonis. But, hey, if you want to see me naked, awesome. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be self-conscious about getting naked because you want to see me naked. Yes. More people need to understand that, that you got to be in the moment and just try to lose your hangups. I mean, easier said than done, obviously. Mm-hmm. I swear I had a point. <laughs> a point or a pint? Uh, little column A, little column B. This is and now we drink. Yes, it is. I unfortunately was at a Hollywood Hills party till almost 5 a.m. Uh, fortunately, the hills aren't that far. Yeah, yeah. The problem was I had to be up at 9, so uh, it was one of those... Party was still raging. I'm like, I got, I have to leave. I have to fucking leave. Otherwise, I'm getting no sleep. And I have a podcast tomorrow night. It will be hot garbage if I'm like falling asleep on mic. <laughs> yeah, that's never good. I love Hollywood Hills after parties. It was catered, open bar. I'm like, okay, sure, cool. I love seeing how the other half lives. That is not my normal life. And if you couldn't tell, we get on tangents on this show. Yes, we do. So backtracking to you know, your career and your evolution in the <laughs> yeah, What was the original topic again? <laughs> well, we were slowly getting into how you got to where you are now. Okay. You know, from independent to the your current releases. Yeah, what kind of stuff do you guys primarily focus on for the you know, the fetish films you shoot? Oh, we have a Several different directions we like to take things. Um, one of them championed by my wife, D. Severe, is the BDSM romantic comedy. Please elaborate. She, she has uh, she just finished her third one. It's up for several award nominations this year. So is, it up, is it up for best comedy? It is. And she was so excited to get that one because it had... Our projects are, have frequently been nominated for Best BDSM Release. I think we've had a nom- at least one nomination in that category for the last nine years. Congratulations. But to finally make that jump into either Best Parody or Best best Comedy or, or even Best Drama it was a big step. And we finally took it this year. That's awesome. The uh, movie I'm in is actually up for Best Comedy, so I can't wish you good luck on winning. But if we don't win, I hope you guys win. Okay. Well, what's, what's the one you're in? I'm in Jews Love Black Cock from Burning Angel. Ah. Uh, I play a rabbi in it. I'm actually up for Best Non-Sex Performance. At- well, you can win that one, and we can win the, the Best Comedy. Done. Done I and done. I don't think Joanna and Small Hands are going to argue too much about that one. They might a little. Just a little. Uh, they don't argue with us. <laughs> Fair enough. We get along very well. I love um, those two. So do I. They're such a fantastic couple. And uh, But anyway, so so this year, uh, 
BDSM romantic comedy is corrupted by the evils of fetish porn. And it's semi-autobiographical. Uh, it's ba- it stars Casey Warner. And it's about a, a girl who wants to be a filmmaker and has a job as a mainstream editor and gets fired. And one of her filmmaker friends makes her swear to secrecy, but turns her on to a gig editing fetish porn. And she does it. And she kind of journeys into that world and discovers that she likes it and meets a guy there. Uh, happens to be Lance Hart, who did a phenomenal job as our, our male lead. I love Lance. He is such an amazing human being. Uh I just wish we saw more of him. Yeah, him and Charlotte are talking about moving to Vegas. Mm-hmm. I keep trying to talk her out of it. I lived in Vegas for a couple of years. I'm like, eh, you sure you really sure you want to live there? I understand it's cheap, but it's mm-hmm. cheap for a reason. <laughs> but the community there is growing. It As is. As a matter of fact, we're our plan is to head that way in about nine months. Well, best of luck to you there. I for me, for me. I you know being a single dude, it's, uh, it's a bad scene for being a single dude. A lot of the locals are very cliquish mm-hmm. because everyone's so transient. They don't want right. to invest time into people that they in don't their friendship expect. that's going to disappear in six months. Right, and I can't blame yeah. them on that. Yeah, but in the three years I was there, I maybe met a handful of people that weren't in the biz, mm-hmm. and I'm a dude, especially in those days, who would be out at bars multiple nights a week and. But you can't beat the rent. It's still better than a lot of places. Yeah. I mean, it's when we started, because our, our lease is up, and we started looking at our options. And for what we want to do, we could we could go to the Valley, and that would double our overhead. Or we could go to Vegas, and that would knock about a grand off our overhead. And you probably get a damn mansion out of yeah. it. And that's that's the plan. Uh, right now, we've got got a very large live work studio on the east side of downtown and our new plan is a four to five bedroom house which would be quite a change because we we've never lived in a house we had a an apartment down at the beach for the first oh 15 or so years together and we've been in the studio for the last six very cool and just to have a house with four walls and a roof that nobody is leaning on or walking on and having a yard would and be having awesome. a yard uh the dogs don't know what a yard is they <laughs> will be quite pleased with this yard concept uh one of them will probably because we want to get a pool too and one of them will probably be scared to death of the pool that's a must for vegas yeah. i couldn't imagine living in a house without a pool 100 percent. those 120 degree summers oh yeah you have to have a pool plus fun pool parties mm-hmm See, that's that's the thing we got to figure out. We got to find a place that's secluded enough where we can have fun pool parties and not have that knock on the door from the neighbor. Yeah, my thirteen-year-old saw what was going on last night. We'd prefer if you didn't do that anymore. Most of the Vegas properties, I feel like, have like brick walls around their yards. Yeah, but it's still that two-story, the, the upper window kind of thing. That's their problem if they're looking from the upper window. Well. That's my opinion, at least. Yeah, we we just go for a nice, peaceful relationship with the neighbors. Well, definitely. I mean, we we've got that now. That's the, one of the things we're gonna, you know, feel bad about leaving is we have the most amazing 
neighbors. Um, it's a Hispanic family that, because uh, we're in the produce district, and they're wholesale produce vendors. It's a family business. I believe everybody who works there is related in some manner. Uh, only half of them speak English, which has been, uh, was supposed to be good for me because I was going to learn how to speak Spanish well enough to get to purchase vegetables. Hasn't happened. <laughs> uh, it's a lot of pointing and stuff, but uh, they are just the nicest neighbors in the world. That's They're, awesome. They don't care what they what we do. They are happy that we're there. Uh, I mean, the parade of people that has walked by their front door into our front door has been very interesting. Never a word about it. They just... They're just happy that we're good neighbors, that we keep an eye on their place, they keep an eye on our place, and life is good. That's awesome. And good on them that you know they're trying to live the American dream and so are you guys. Yeah. And everyone's coexisting. That's exactly. awesome. It's it's the way it should be. Definitely. I mean, they're they're like I said, I've never discussed their their immigration status. I don't honestly don't really wanna know unless it's something they want to talk about and you know, they, they feel concerns about situations. Yeah, I'll, I'll listen to them because they're good people and I want to hear what they have to say. Yeah, help them but, out any way you can. And- but if everyone there is not 100% legal, they all work their ass off. They are there at 6 o'clock in the morning. They leave at 5 o'clock every night, 365 days. I mean, they will be there at least a partial day on Christmas Day. And, I mean... They represent everything that is good about immigration in this country. Definitely. I mean, they are not a burden. They are not taking from the public any more than any other normal citizen. I mean, they, yeah, they, they use police services and fire services and drive on the roads and everything, but they're not on welfare. They're not. They're probably paying taxes. Yeah. They pay their taxes. They pay their rent. uh, And they all work hard and, you know, provide a service and that's the way it should be. Damn right. And I mean, we're, I hate things get political when you drink. It happens. It does. I honestly feel like a lot of the immigrants that aren't even here legally are doing jobs that the average American wouldn't want to do. So if they're feeling that need, good on them. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. Hell, I, read a report about there was fruit rotting on the vine because a lot of immigrants were afraid once Trump took office that they were going to be deported and weren't showing up to their agriculture jobs. There's food rotting because these people are afraid to work. They're trying to work. Right. The fuck? What's wrong with them trying to do the job? I don't see you know any of my peers lining up to go pick berries or apples or oranges. Mm-hmm. And not on a regular basis. I mean, yeah, it's a fun day trip. Exactly. It's the cute date day trip. Yeah, let's go pick strawberries, sweetheart. Okay. And you get your little basket of strawberries and you go home. You eat half of them. Yeah. But I I don't see, you know, you know, Muffy, the the 25 year old white girl from Van Nuys out there putting in 14 hour days during picking season to get get the bushels on the truck. Right. Being covered in thorns. And Mm -hmm. yeah. So more power to them that they're willing to do jobs, janitorial work, back a house in the kitchen. Good on them. Yeah. And maybe they provide for their family and the next generation has a better job and they're providing for their family. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, a lot of them, you know, they're sending money. 
they're getting their kids through school. Uh, so, I mean, their kids aren't picking fruit. Their, their kids are, are, you know, working as accountants or, you know, going to med school. Uh, and that's another problem. You've got these immigrant doctors coming over that can't get work in the American medical profession. But yet we have a shortage of qualified American doctors and nurses. It doesn't make any sense. No, not at all. Not at all. A lot of things are backwards. Mm -hmm. It it just doesn't make any goddamn sense. Because, you know, I'm not of Native American descent. I don't think you are either. At one point, our ancestors came over and did the same thing. Yeah. And now because... There are so many people trying to come to America. America doesn't want to take everyone. So people have to come here illegally to you know, try to have a better life. It sucks. It's, it's a lot of, we got our better life, now fuck you. It's like, why shouldn't the next person get that same opportunity to have the better life? Yeah, they should. Just because they had the misfortune of not being born here. That's the thing. That's, I think it's so silly that everyone's like, yo, I'm a Californian. I'm an American. I'm a, some arbitrary thing that you had no control over. Mm-hmm. You're, you're proud of something that, that's not your accomplishment. Your parents fucked you into existence here. How, how is that something to be proud of? That, that's not your achievement. That's just your luck. Yeah. That's your starting point. Right. It's what you do with that that makes you a success or a failure, but just to be born into existence, you did nothing. You deserve nothing from that. I definitely agree. 100%. This world is what you make of it. And you shouldn't take pride in something that you had no control over. Wow. We totally made a sharp turn away from porn. Oh yeah. (laughs) This has been known to happen on this show once or twice. Nothing wrong with it. I think we need more intelligent discussion in this country. Well, I'll let you know when I'm capable of doing that. Well, there, there, there was a, that was an intelligent stretch. The, the, I'm the, sorry, folks. It won't happen again. There, there was no screaming. There was no you know, slandering. It was very respectful and uh, with well-founded ideas. I wouldn't call they're well-founded, but mm-hmm. yeah, they're ideas. They're ideas. I'm going to pause for 30 seconds because I need a refill and I didn't bring the bottle to the table. How are you doing? Uh, I could do another finger or two. All right. We'll just bring the bottles to the table so we can. All right. So we've refilled our drinks and then decided to bullshit without the mic running for like 20 minutes. We, you guys probably wouldn't care about what we're yeah, doing. Yeah. We totally like gear headed out on audio gear. Yeah, totally. Maybe sometime we'll, we'll come back and we'll just do a total geek out on audio gear for anybody who gives a shit about that. Yeah, that cares about that. We're now recording on Shure SM7Bs <laughs> and my Zoom Live Track 12 versus what we used to record on. Yes, because I, I, well, I, I don't like to talk too much about the mainstream side of my work. I will confess that uh, I am an audio engineer on the mainstream side. And it's been very interesting in the porn world when, like, just looking at how people do things and going, you know, for what you're spending on that or for a little bit more than you're spending on that, you could do that so much better, so much easier, so much cleaner. So what would you change about my setup? 
your setup? Because uh, I am not an audio engineer. I am completely self-taught on all of this. I I would add, probably add some sound baffling of some sort. Um, That's been suggested before, too. It's just running it by the roommate. Yeah. I mean, there are ways to do it that are very unobtrusive uh, and not permanent. Okay. Uh, I mean, the simplest and cheapest is Harbor Freight a dozen little uh, A-clips and some packing blankets. Uh, you just want to re- eliminate as much of the the hard surface as gotcha. possible. I mean, to be honest, an Ikea throw rug under the, the table and chairs here would help a bit. Okay, cool. I mean, that's why there's a blanket on the glass table. Yeah. I was kind of wondering. It's a it's a lovely Afghan. I, <laughs> uh, I mean, again, you know, delving deep into my past, my mother is a prolific knitter. Uh, still is to this day. Uh, but we never lacked for the knit Afghan, the sweater. Um, it, it's funny. My my nephews and, and niece on my brother's side uh, requested uh, ugly Christmas sweaters this year. So my mom is from scratch making them each an ugly Christmas sweater with the elements that they have asked for in the sweater. I cannot wait to see the pictures of these things. Oh, that sounds amazing. Yeah. She's, I, I mean, this kind of goes into the whole, you know, femdom and, you know, empowered female thing from day one. I grew up with very strong women in my life. Uh, and very talented women in my life. Uh, my mother, uh, you know, like I said, she knits. She, I mean, she just does, she's constantly doing things uh, at a very high level. That's awesome. Uh, her sister is one of the most amazing artists I've ever met. Entirely self-taught. Well, I shouldn't say entirely self-taught uh, because she did take a safety class uh, when she decided that she wanted to do um, metal, welded metal sculpture. So she went and learned how to properly weld without burning things down. Oh, come on. Burning things sounds fun. Yeah, but, uh, you know, no matter how well off you are, you can only torch so many barns on your property before your husband says, you know, we really are not going to do this anymore. Oh, and plus your insurance premiums. The insurance companies <laughs> tend to frown on that shit. Uh, well, let's see. That's the thing about my uncle. He's very well off and, and doesn't like people he doesn't know. So he went through a stretch over 20 years where anytime anything within 25 miles of him was up for sale, he bought it and he slowly amassed this enormous basically a state park that he owned none of it he never wanted to develop it he just didn't want neighbors well, so that's one way to be a hermit yeah he did it well uh but my aunt i mean she she went from uh, watercolors to oil paints to like i said metal sculpting uh needlecraft uh at one point she decided she she'd always like flowers and plants and stuff and she went to the new york botanical garden 
and became a certified botanical artist. Wow. So, so she, I don't know if anybody realizes this, but when you go to a botanical garden or a museum or a place like that, and you see an illustration of a plant, the person who created that illustration has to be certified. Really? They have to be skilled enough to present, because it's a scientific, even though it's art and a picture. It's, it's like the art of a human anatomy, essentially. Yeah, it's still, it has to be scientifically accurate. Accurate. So she received her certification in botanical painting. That's awesome. Yeah. And she just does stuff like this, and it's phenomenal to be around, uh, you know, as an adult. But as a child, it was fantastic. Cause so do you think being around someone who's talented and successful at their talent at a young age allows you to, encourages you that that's possible to be successful in an artistic field? I mean, to be honest, I don't even think the success is the important part. It's the fact that she was, she embraced all these things and was so supportive. So anytime, you know, the kids were bored, it's like she would throw paints out. She would, there were always, you know, art supplies and anything we wanted to, you know, if we wanted to build stuff, if we wanted to make stuff, we always had the resources to do that. And it could be the weirdest strangest thing it could be you know a wobbly shelf it could be whatever but that support and encouragement was always there it's like you're creating something good for you keep doing that always keep creating and i i think that's you know something that has you know served me very well you know over 50 plus years you know, now I do a lot of on kind of on the, the backside of our productions. One of the things I love to do is the art direction stuff. And uh, for anybody who saw uh, Heartbreaker versus Obscura, it was a from a completely original uh, super lesbian superheroine film that we produced. But it's like, oh, I got this list from our director and okay we need blasters we need this we need and just to go and like go down to home depot and like sort through bins of stuff and make two blasters for the two guards was the one of the most fun parts of that whole process because you're just making things that's awesome that's absolutely awesome i i'm just personally kind of curious about it because like i come from you know, a long line of blue-collar workers and stuff like that. There was no real artistic encouragement coming up. So it's just really curious to see someone who, you know, came from a background that had artistic encouragement, people that were successful in it, that showed that you could be successful being a creative. But but even even on the blue-collar side, I mean, and, you know, something I got from my dad was was woodworking and craftsmanship. So, I mean, one of the projects I'm working on right now at our studio is I'm building a church set. And for anybody who follows me on Twitter, you can see me live tweeting the construction of the church. 
and it, it's just getting in there with with tools and cutting wood and putting it together into shapes and making those parts. Well, is, there, there's something artistic about that too. Yeah, I mean, building actual churches. You know, when those are built, those are artistic. Mm-hmm. You know, the chapel, the the arches, all of that. There's there's definitely art artisan. I definitely need to sleep more before I do podcasts. There is definitely artistic value. Yes. In that architecture. So even in that kind of blue collar work, there's art there. Mm-hmm. The kind of blue collar work, you know, my family came from eh, HVAC. There's not much art to that. You know, putting in duct work and yeah. shit like that. But I mean, if, if you do it well, and do it in a, a way that's efficient and you know you're putting in an HVAC system and all of a sudden there's a wall here okay how do i effectively get around this wall you know how do i create a an outflow system for a room that evenly distributes or that avoids certain areas where you don't want direct flow there, there's an art art to that i guess so i guess so i i wouldn't i it's it's not the same no nowhere near but it's still an art and that's i mean that but by that argument there's art in everything there very well can be Fair, fair. I mean, if if you, I mean, if if you apply skill and thought to your process, and you know, put put forth your best. I mean, if you're just going in and it's like I got to get this thing slapped in here in four hours and then move on to the next job. Yeah, there's not a whole lot of art to that. But if you go in there and try and do your, you know, the best possible and make it as clean and as efficient and as functional and as possible, then yeah, there's definitely an art to that. That's fair. I, me personally, like in my early twenties, I did low voltage wiring work. I did high speed internet installation. I never thought there was any art to that. It's like, well, I'm going to run these lines. I'm going to string them through your drop ceiling as fast as I humanly can, so I can get on to my next job. Yeah. Well, I mean, when when you're taking that approach, no, there's no art. But I definitely see what you're saying. Like, if but if if you were to come into a room like this and say, "Okay, I'm going to put in a wired solution for you," and you're not going to be able to see any of it, then there's an art to that. I've never it's, thought about it that way. It's going to be everywhere you need to have connection. And it will in, in no way impede upon what you see in here. Yet will be 100% ergonomically functional and efficient. That's an art. I never thought about it that way. I never did. Mine kind of blown at the moment. Just, I definitely appreciate the outlook on that. Definitely have me looking at it in a different way. Yeah, because it's yeah, it's it's modern and technical, but it's still craftsmanship. I mean, the the IT guys of today 
are the same as, you know, the stone masons and blacksmiths. And I mean, there's, they're the technicians of this day. They are, but there's nothing that's going to be as aesthetically pleasing as beautiful arches and woodwork versus, you know, trunks of cable. Just not to me, at least. I understand that there is skill that goes into properly wiring all that, properly setting it up, especially so the guy who was not involved in actually wiring it could come in and flawlessly work on it. Mm -hmm. But uh, have you ever been to, like, the the theater at the Ace Hotel downtown? Yes. Like, that ancient theater is fucking beautiful. Oh, yeah. And I feel like in our modern society, someone who has the skills to build a place like that are just they're going away. They won't exist in 20 years, 30, 40 years. How could, you know, modern architecture is just not like that. But will they build it in a different way? I feel like a lot of things that are being built today are built to be disposable and built to be cookie cutter. But if you look at 3D printing... That's very true. And and all of a sudden, the ability to, in a at a cost-effective manner, in a relatively short amount of time, create that texture. No, that's entirely possible. I, I mean, w- will someone sit there with a chisel and carve out that scroll work? Probably not. But will someone sit there with a light pen and a tablet and program a device that will create it for him. And the skill is still there. It's just different tools. True. Very true. I just, I never even considered that because every time I go in that theater, I'm like, man, no one could recreate this. And I never even thought about 3d printing it. Wow, you're kind of blowing my mind this episode. <laughs> That's what I'm here for. And here I just thought we were going to talk about, you know, peeing in people's mouths. We can talk about that too. Although <laughs> your your potential co-host isn't here, so that can have conversation kind of loses a little something. <laughs> I know, I know. Two dudes talking about peeing in girls' mouths. <laughs> kind of weird. Little, little weird. But speaking of which, what um what are your thoughts on, you know, piss play, scat, and all that fun stuff? Uh, I enjoy piss play from either direction, more so on the receiving end than on the giving end. Okay. It's just the way I'm wired. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but if the person I'm with asks for to receive it versus wanting to give it, or if they want to make it reciprocal, uh, I'm completely fine with that. I, it doesn't bother me in the least. Scat's uh, a limit for me, and it's it's more because of the sanitary issues of it. I just can't get around that aspect of it, and you know, to me, it's it's just not a level of safety that I'm willing to compromise on. Nothing wrong with that either. Yeah. So when did you realize that you were into this? Like, into the piss play? Oh, it's... I mean, it's it's something I've seen for a long time. Uh, and 
to be honest, for a while, it was kind of like, eh, I don't know if I'd ever really go for that. Um, and then, oddly enough, uh, and this is something we talked about before, but uh, for those of you who don't know, it, my wife and I, we rescue dogs. Uh, at the moment, we've got four of them. Oh, um, what are their names? Like, what breeds' names? Uh, breeds and names. Okay. Uh, our our mommy dog, uh, even though there's no blood relation between any of them, they're all rescues from different sources. But the, the one who has taken on the mommy role is Liberty. Uh, we found her uh, wandering the streets of Redondo Beach on the 4th of July, a six-month-old boxer mix puppy. Uh, she's been with us for almost 16 years. Um, wow. The, the oldest dog we've ever had. And we're like, damn, you're still hanging in there, girl. Good for you. Uh, she's very much the mommy and very much the grumpy old lady. It's like, <laughs> you will do this now. Woof. Uh, no, you don't understand. Woof. And uh, one of her favorite things to do is just to like lie on top of you until you bend to her will. Um, next in line is Belladonna. And for those who ask, she was not named after the porn star. I was just actually about to ask that. No. Uh, And at the time we got her, it was right when the whole Twilight thing, uh, and she's Bella for short, not named for the Twilight character. She is an all black, or was an all black. She's now got a little gray around the muzzle. Uh, Chow mix. Uh, And we, she had a, a nice... Because of the mix, she had kind of a almost purplish sheen to her uh, on the her, the short-haired portions of her, and we named her after the the plant Belladonna or Deadly Nightshade. Shade. Yeah. Um, and for those of you in the LA fetish scene, she was also not named for Sabrina Belladonna, who was a um, veteran dominatrix back in the early nineties. Um, after that is uh, Theodore or Teddy. Uh, he is a Bernese Mountain Border Collie uh, pit bull mix. Uh, he suffers from PTSD and anxiety. And he'll still give a speech after getting shot? <laughs> uh, he doesn't speak too much. He just kind of freaks out at things. So he's um, he, we call him the love sponge. <laughs> Anybody who's ever been to our studio who has met him, it's like, oh, can I take him? No, you can't take him. Uh, but he, he just wants, he just wants people to love him and wants to, you know, that affection. But for the first year of his life, he was the youngest of six dogs in a household of unfixed dogs and was abused by the other dogs. Oh, that's so it's given him issues that we won't go into here, but it's, oh, yeah, he's. But he's he's a sweet guy, and we love him, and we're working with him on the issues, and got him on meds, and you know it's it's very L.A. But yes, we have a dog on Prozac, and but it it helps. And it, it, how's his therapy sessions? Uh, he hasn't done much therapy, but uh, we actually do. And I'm going to give a shameless plug for uh, the Zen Dog, uh, which is a. Matt Beisner and his staff over there, uh, amazing trainer. Uh, They specialize in large breed rescues, and they've helped us tremendously with all of them. Uh, But they do, 
you know, if you just got a normal dog that needs a place to stay, they will take care of that for you and they will treat your dog so well. But if you've got a dog, uh, especially a large dog with, with some issues, uh, Matt will work with you and he will help you figure out what the hell is going on in that little fuzzy head and, and help you get it solved. Uh, and then uh, the last one is, uh, is Clyde. He is a blue nose pit bull. Um, for those of you on Twitter, he is at Little Dude Clyde. <laughs> uh, we pulled Clyde out of the Lancaster shelter at uh, roughly uh, nine months old. Uh, or sorry, uh, roughly three months old. He only weighed nine pounds. Uh, for those of you who know pit bulls, that's really small. Yeah, that's tiny. Uh, they, the people at the shelter seem to think it was a parasite, possibly a virus. It turns out he had uh, a condition similar to human acid reflux, which was complicated by an artery wrapped around his esophagus. Uh, he's had a bypass. And he is small, but he's completely, oh, I shouldn't say completely healthy because in the last two years he's um, developed epilepsy. Uh, So little guy's had a rough life, but he's just the sweetest, nicest. uh, If ever there was a great ambassador for the pit bull breed, it's Clyde. Because, I mean, he's not angry. He's not vicious. He's just a sweet little guy who wants to love you and, and, and wants to know what you're doing. And, um, but yeah, he's our, our little one, uh, uh, about six years old. Uh, so anyway, going off this tangent back to the original, (laughs) um, when we, uh, moved into the studio, the we ha- didn't have Clyde yet, but uh, and best guess is it was Bella doing this because I I can sense a bit of the Chow vindictiveness in it. For any of you who've ever had a Chow, that's the way they are. Uh, she went through an angry stretch where she was not happy with us, and over the course of about a month peed on me in my sleep three times. Wow. And wow. <laughs> and uh, that's how you figured out the well, well, that's because like I said, I, I had seen human piss play and was kind of curious about it, interested in it, but was a little on the fence about it. And then this happened and it's like, it's like you're getting peed on almost every morning. What's your hang up here? Uh, that shouldn't be something that's bothering you. And that kicked me over the hump. Uh, we also kind of straightened Bella out where she's no longer peeing on me in my sleep, which is. She's doing it when you're awake? No, she's not doing it at all. Uh, uh, yeah, we. Two two things. I mean, we're very open minded, very supportive, and, and something that I've been, you know, being in the lifestyle for over thirty years, I was taught very early on um, a phrase called "respect the king." It's like and what that means is even if you're not into something, uh, as long as it's involving consensual adults, 
uh, I mean, when you start getting into children and animals, that's not consensual. That's that's not consensual. They're not capable of consenting. That's a completely different thing. But when you're dealing with consensual adults, even if it's something that like completely freaks you out, you still have to respect the other person's right to be turned on and get enjoyment from it if you expect them to respect your rights to get turned on and enjoyment from the things that do it for you. I 100% agree. I agree about that. I My personal mindset is if you are doing something, whatever it is, and it doesn't harm anyone else, yeah. game on. Well, and see, that's that's the thing. It's if if your thing is you know having sex on the metro, well, unless you poll everybody getting on the train before you start it, there's a lack of consent there. Right, that harms other people. So, well, harm psychologically it could potentially harm yeah, someone psychologically. Harms or or just at least puts them at a a level of discomfort that isn't appropriate. Well, uh, harm comes in degrees. Yeah, exactly. We're, we're on the same page. Yeah. So, but back to the, the original thing, it's like if if you're not into, you know, if if you don't like dressing up in women's lingerie, fine. Don't do it. Don't watch people do it. But if somebody else is getting off on that, you have no right to say that what they're doing isn't allowed. I agree. Uh, I 100% and, agree. And it, it gets into, you know, you know, homosexuality, bisexuality, transgender. Okay, if, if someone enjoys transgender partners and that doesn't do anything for you, fine. You're not involved in that. Right. You just, you, you turn away, you walk away, you don't be involved. But you have no right to tell them that what they're doing isn't right. 100% agree. 1,000% agree even. No. People need to live their own goddamn lives and have no right to tell other people how they should live. Exactly. I mean, that comes with that drugs, alcohol, as long as you're not negatively affecting anyone exactly. else. It's when it crosses that line and starts impacting others, then it becomes a discussion. But, and, and this is, it's something, you know... In the last year or so, it, it, something that's become very popular in the adult industry is, you know, my body, my choice. And I've kind of got a problem with that because I find it very judgmental and confrontational. I think the approach we, be t- we should be taking is your body, your choice. And it's reciprocal. Which means if everybody is is saying, you know, your body, your choice, then it is my choice. But if what I'm choosing doesn't agree with what other people are choosing, that doesn't give me the right to look down on them, to criticize them for what they're doing. It just gives me the right to not do that. And this is a hot button topic right now. Because- it, oh, very much so. I didn't want to get too deep into it because I don't know what your listener, you know, what your listeners have seen and heard within the industry. 
and it's one of those things like I'm willing to dive into it, but I also want to be respectful to the parties that are actually involved with it, still mourning, yes. and don't want to shit on them with my potential opinions or inflame a situation with, you know, potentially inflame. Mm-hmm. Who knows if I'll actually inflame anyone with my opinions. So, I'm right there with you. It's everyone should have the right to have you know control over their own body, who they have sex with. Making it a public thing may not be the right avenue. Well, you've got you've got the right to make that choice. One hundred percent for you. You do not have the right to criticize someone who makes a different choice for them. 100%. And I, I think that's something that we, as an industry, need to... I mean, it's... it's Nobody has really stepped up and spoken it yet, but it's something we need to. And say, you know, we're approaching this all wrong. We're making it a confrontation. It's like, my choice, and if you don't agree with me, you're wrong. No, it's not that. It's, you've got your choice. Make your choice. Do what you want, and I'll just be over here. Right. And, but you also don't need to take it to the court of public opinion when you make that choice. No. Hey, I eat red meat. I don't go to, well, actually, I do go to Twitter all the time talking about <laughs> it. Never mind. Uh, that was a bad example. In reality, if I wasn't just being a jackass on the internet, if I have a steak, it's no big deal. It's just what's going in my body. It's not something that's newsworthy. Mm-hmm. If you're a vegan, it's not newsworthy that you're not eating that steak. I feel, I feel like I lost my point. I, I kind of get where you're going with it. It's a, I'm not going to go a, down the whole vegan path because that's... Yeah. yeah. No, it, it's a bad parallel. But you have control over your own body. And it's really... When you make that choice, it's nobody business, nobody's business but your own. Right. It's like you have control of your own body, but you only have control of your own body. Right. You do not have the right to impose your choices on other people. Right. And 100%. It, that's your moral values. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't want someone inflicting on you that you have to carry a child to term because they believe in pro-life. Yeah. Or vice versa. That you, you know, have to abort that child because it was out of wedlock. Do people do that? It's a whole lot of... Yeah, we, that's a whole nother show. We, <laughs> we, we, could, we could go on for, for a couple of hours on that whole... And it, what exactly is the deal with the, the, the whole pro-life but not in favor of any kind of health care or support for the life? Yeah, uh, oh, no. One, once you shit it out, it's your problem. Yeah, exactly. A little bit of backtrack and a little bit of a tangent on the dogs. Okay. So it just is weird timing today. PETA... I got shared a video of PETA in Britain feeding people dog milk. Okay. Without telling them. Because their whole thing is, well, if you'll drink, you know, cow milk, why won't you drink dog milk? It's mammal. It's mammal Mm, milk. Yeah. And part of me, you know, part of me is like, if it tastes good, cool, game on. On the other hand, I think it's really morally reprehensible that PETA pull the bait and switch on people like, hey, consume this thing under the pretense that it's 
you know, Cal. And I agree with you on that. It, it, if you choose to ingest cow milk or goat milk or human milk or whatever milk you, you're making a conscious choice on that particular item. Right. If somebody is giving you a different item, then that's that's iffy. But I mean, my whole view on PETA, and I am my my wife is a vegan. I am progressing towards veganism. I'm far from there yet. Uh, but what, doing, we're not we're not going for cheeseburgers after this. I kid, I kid. But ultimately, it's you know it's your own choice what you put in your body, and if you choose to put something in your body, and later find out that somebody has swapped out and had you put a different something in your body, that's wrong. One hundred percent. For the listeners at home, I shared it on my Facebook page on the Matt Slayer Facebook page. If you want to see the video, it, it's really just odd because they they're like giving out free samples of this milk, like with like black and white cow splotches on the the packaging. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some of their tactics are a little iffy. I just I'm against them because they euthanize so many animals for you know. We're here for the ethical treatment of animals. We're going to euthanize so many animals at their shelters. What's ethical yeah. about that? Just my opinion. Mm-hmm. But I, I thought that was an interesting, an interesting video. And if if dog milk's delicious, what's morally wrong about drinking it? Yeah, if dogs aren't harmed and yeah, collecting it, that's the thing. It's it's like do you, do you have like dog farms or? Well, it could be argued that you know dairy farms harm cows. Yes, I, I believe Peter is making that argument. No, it's not that it can be. It it is argued that in in many cases they do, but there are ethical farming operations and. Oh, no, factory farms are gross. Yes, it's probably the biggest problem with our food supply right now is factory farming. And the worst part about it is it doesn't make the food taste any better. No, it makes it taste worse. It, it, it makes a less tasty, less healthy, but cheaper product. And that is the whole point of factory farming. Yeah, it is. You know, I, I travel abroad a fair amount. And when I go to Europe or I go to Japan, the food just tastes better. Because they're not, you know, pumping animals full of antibiotics because they're in such close quarters that if one of them catches any sort of disease, it will kill the whole herd effectively. They just, you know, have to pump them full of antibiotics. Just well, preventative medicine. And, and they're giving them a very low cost generic feed I mean what and this is kind of a a weird way of illustrating this but it it proves the point if you've ever tasted semen the taste of it is affected by what 
the person who ejaculated has consumed. If they smoke a lot of weed, you will you can tell that in the cum. If they eat fruits, you can it you can tell that in it's whatever goes into your body or into an animal's body is reflected in the consumed product from that body. Well, and that's like the old joke about, you know, eating pineapple for tasty semen. Or, if Joe Rogan is to be believed, blueberry bears are supposed to be the most delicious thing ever. Apparently, brown bears up in Canada at one point of the season gorge themselves on blueberries. And the meat is supposed to be delicious. I have never eaten bear. I probably will never eat bear. But I agree with the logic behind the statement. The quality and characteristics of the diet of the animal creating the consumed product are reflected. So if, if you eat like just bland, a bland grain processed cheap diet, you're not going to get... I mean, it's the whole, the whole concept between Kobe beef is they are feeding them like these special grains and, and, and massaging them and massaging them and giving them beer. And, and it's, have you ever had Kobe? I have. Oh, and it's so good. It is delicious. Uh, even American Wagyu is quite tasty. It's not quite the same, but it's, it's still. not quite the same, but it, it, the concept still carries over. It's, what is going into the the animal is evident when you consume it. So, if y'all eat me, I may get you drunk. Cheers to that. Clink. Clink. No, seriously, though, I do wake up a lot of mornings and my urine just smells like whiskey. Oh, man, I may have drank a little too much last night. It's when you wake up and your whiskey smells like urine that you know you've got a problem. Eh, Tomato, tomato. (laughs) You do hang out with Charlotte, so. I do, I do. (laughs) uh, Diet's very important. I mean, that's why if, you know, Western society really breaks down and we have to resort to cannibalism, man, a lot of it's not going to be good. No. Because, yeah, that guy who's, like, Doing the quarter pounder every day is a large quantity of food, but the quality is just not there. No, it's technically calorie rich. McDonald's, it's McDonald's is a good and a bad thing at the same time. It is a very calorie rich meal for not much money, which is a good thing if you're. That's all you can afford. Well, but but why are you eating? Are are you eating for for fuel, which is calories? Right. Or are you eating for health, which is nutrients? Well, if I'm in a bad social economic place, I may be just eating for fuel. Okay. Then yes, the dollar menu is a godsend. But on the flip side, they are killing people with their meals. Yes. It's it's yeah. And, and, and to clarify that, they are not killing people to put them in the meals. They are just killing them by the what they eat. And not yet. Yeah. Maybe in a couple of years when we progress to like. You oh know, my God! It's people. <laughs> no. 
for all you old film people. <laughs> Your Charlton you, Heston's a little off. Uh, it was quick. You know, I didn't have time to sit. Uh, see, I can do accents, but it takes me a couple of minutes to like get deep. Get in the zone. I got to get into that zone. Uh, it, it's funny because I used to do a lot of work up uh, in Canada. And I found out very late in the project that my crew in Toronto thought I was from Calgary. My crew in Calgary thought I was from Toronto. Weird. Because I assimilate to accents. So, you know, after about half an hour of being around Canadians, I start to develop the, you know, the about, the about, you know. You betcha, eh? So what happens in Montreal? Didn't go to Montreal on this project. Well, that's a shame. I hear the sex clubs are amazing. I, unfortunately, I've been to Montreal once. It was wonderful, but I was far too young to partake of the sex clubs. Uh, on another, yet another tangent, because we've had a... Because that's the, the way we go here at And Now You Drink. It's, uh, now we drink. It's not just not me. It's not yeah. just me. It is a social... Yes, it is we drink, yes. It's a social drinking. That our neighbors to both the North and South are okay with prostitution. Yet, America, we're not. No. Except in rural Nevada. It's, it's a weird thing. I mean, to be honest, couldn't ask for two much better neighbors than... Canada and Mexico. Yeah, there for the yeah the some of the the gangs down in in Mexico and the criminal element are a bit rough, but but I feel like in a lot of cases our own puritanical laws created those gangs. It's that's entirely possible. We did create a market for them. Hey, capitalism, supply and demand. Mm-hmm. They have the supply. We got the demand. Yeah, but. I mean, from a cultural, from a, I mean, Mexican food. I love Mexican food. Tequila. It's wonderful. Shout out to Ghost Tequila, sponsoring the show. Uh, You know, the folks up north, excellent people. I've enjoyed every moment I've spent up there. They've got some of the best strip clubs in the world. I've heard that. I When I was younger, I was literally going to take a road trip to Toronto just for the strip clubs. Sadly, never panned out. I am going to divulge a little about the other side of my life. Uh, I spent a season working the Canadian Football League during what is referred to as the American Experiment. For those who don't know that, in the mid-90s, uh, the Canadian Football League had four, Ameri- four United States teams. Really? I did not know that. Where? Sacramento, Las Vegas, Birmingham, and Baltimore. Birmingham? Big football country down there. Well, true, but you'd figure they'd have a place somewhere in Texas if they really were going for big football country. Uh, they were talking about San Antonio. The money was better in, in Sacramento, I believe. Hmm. Uh, but that was the American experiment. They expanded, and I bounced back and forth between north of the border, south of the border. Uh, didn't actually do... 
attend any games in Birmingham or Vegas. Uh, did a couple in Sacramento. Did a bunch in Baltimore. A lot in Toronto. Um, many in Edmonton, Calgary. Uh, but the playoffs that year ended up uh, for the Grey Cup, which is their Super Bowl. Uh, Vancouver versus Baltimore in Vancouver. And I was in a strip club in Vancouver, and I convinced a reporter from ESPN that me and my best friend had driven our Winnebago from Baltimore for the game. And that's why we were there. (laughs) Uh, That's so good. Until like two days later when he sees me down on the field at the game and realizes he's been he did did this great story about these two guys who drove their Winnebago from Baltimore to Vancouver and oh no they actually work for the same company I do and they're here televising <laughs> <laughs> but it was kind of a big fuck you to them because Anytime you deal with large companies, there's a, a disconnect. And we had been doing game coverage all season long. Meanwhile, unbeknownst to us, the news side of our organization had been going around doing feature stories <laughs> and not telling us. So we finally found out that they had been like doing all these feature stories that we could have collaborated on and made... like shared resources and aired them during our shows and all that stuff. So we, uh, we did a little dig at them, but in general, Canadian strip clubs are fantastic. Uh, one little pro tip here though. Uh, if you're only tipping a dollar, do not throw the tip at your stripper. <laughs> yeah. Cause they're dollars or coins, right? Uh huh. However, if you got a bunch of dollars, there's some talented ladies up there that will make them disappear. Good to know. Mm-hmm. See, we are an educational we show, are. too. We're opening your minds to different cultures, different worlds. It is fucked up that, like, I've been many places. I still haven't actually been to Canada. I have been to, you know, five out of seven, seven continents. Never been to Canada. You're ahead of me. I've been to two continents. Well... One of my life goals is to have sex in all seven continents. Okay. Sadly, I have... Well, not sadly, but I have to go back to Australia because I zigged where I should have zagged there. Uh. And when I go back to Africa, I got to bring somebody with me because it's a little sketchy trying to have sex in South Africa. Yeah, that's the thing. Africa is a big continent, and it's a very diverse continent. Definitely. So... What's going on in the Congo? Maybe not the same as down in South Africa or up the in... The HIV rates in South Africa are still really high. In Egypt or over in... I mean, I want to go to Morocco. Yeah. I, I kind of want to go to Casablanca at some point. Just yeah. for the... I'm in Casablanca. It's Casablanca. I mean, who wouldn't want to go there? Got to bring a trench coat, though. Definitely. And a fedora. Uh-huh. See, I'm not I'm really a hat guy, though. I am because it's sponsored. Uh-huh. I, I want to go there, but the one time I went to Africa, I went to Cape Town. Okay. And had a blast down there. It's a, a little sketchy. 
but I had a good time. Only place I've ever had like a crime committed against me out of country. I got pickpocketed. Okay. And I know exactly who fucking did it. <laughs> and that man is brave. Because if I had caught him, I probably would have beaten the snot out of him. I'm hang- I'm, it's like 4 a.m. I'm drunk. I'm hanging out on a patio with some locals I just met. Okay. Dude roll- and there are super aggressive panhandlers down there. They hear an American accent. They will follow you for blocks. Target, target, target. <laughs> and I have a pair of pretty nice leather cowboy boots that I sometimes have been known to wear. And I'm rocking the boots. Dude rolls up to me, like, like lifts my pant leg a little bit. Oh, man, those are some really nice boots. And I just think he's an aggressive panhandler. And he's just, like, tugging on my pant leg, like, oh, those are nice boots. Security scares him off. He got your wallet, didn't he? No, he got my mobile Wi-Fi. Oh. That's it. And they're like, oh, man, you got to watch out. They'll grab your phone. I'm like, thanks for warning me, assholes. (laughs) Thankfully, my phone was sitting in the breast pocket of my leather jacket that I had put on the girl I just met. Ah. So he got my mobile Wi-Fi because I pulled my phone out. I'm like, I have no service all of a sudden. Fuck. I mean, I went and bought another one the next day. It wasn't the end of the yeah, world. That's replaceable. Yeah, like, didn't get my phone, didn't get my wallet, didn't get my passport. Especially because the, the U.S. consulate's in Johannesburg, not Cape Town. Uh-huh. I would have been proper fucked. Proper fucked if I had mm-hmm. lost my passport. But, you know, in all my traveling abroad, that's the only problem I've ever had. So, I count myself pretty lucky. You know, fairly, well, I wouldn't say blessed, but lucky. That's all that's ever happened to me. Yeah, I I haven't traveled abroad nearly as much as I would like to. That's a shame. But I've had some amazing experiences. Uh, basically, just in you know Europe, uh, Mexico, and Canada. Haven't made it down to Australia yet. Australia's fun. It's a shame you're married because they really like American dudes down there. I went into a bar and. Girls were just buying me drinks. Like, you're an American? What are you doing here? I'm like, partying? (laughs) My brother lived in Australia for a year. Uh, I'm sure he could collaborate my story. uh, He probably would. It's a great place. Yeah, he he spoke very highly of it. Um, And it's it's funny, one of the, the members of our, going back to the beginning of this podcast and the film group, one of the members of the group uh, actually uh, moved to New Zealand to support his wife, who is a veterinarian down there now. Uh, she found a, a program. Both of them are Americans, but she found a program down there and went there to go to school. And she finished school and had fell into work there. He had fallen, went from a kind of mid-level executive position in the L.A. film industry to a much better position down there. Very cool. Uh, so he's doing really well for himself down there as a, as a film producer. Uh, he got back into acting. Is he working with Peter Jackson or... Uh, I'm not sure if he's done anything with Peter Jackson. He, I'm, and I'm not gonna say too much about what he's done because yeah, no need to call him out. Yeah, but uh, you know, he he was in a a recent family oriented film, um, which we were all quite. It's like, wait a second, 
That's, uh, yeah, okay. Uh, but yeah, he's doing really well down there. Um, you know, working in the industri- industry, uh, both as a advocate and, and helping people, you know, get, helping other people get into the industry and then as a producer himself. So it's... Oh, that's awesome. I feel like more people should you know, see the world. It's crazy to me that only something like 30% of Americans even have passports and only 10% of that 30% even use them. Mm-hmm. Blows my mind. People, go see the world. It's a great place. You'll be exposed to things that you would never imagine. Like Canadian strip clubs. Austrian skiing. Weird, weird Japanese casinos. The Hellfire Club in England. I'm trying to think of what else has just been really odd. Cuba is just a, its own trip, and I'm really bummed that they've closed it back down. It'll pop open again. I certainly fucking hope so. But I also hope that when it pops back open, there's no Starbucks or any of that bullshit there. And fortunately, I think that's what might pop it open. I, I think the the business side of it and that that new mark available market will eventually become too irresistible. Sadly, sadly. Yeah. I'm, I'm super thrilled that I got to go before there was any Americana there. I wish I could have gone. I would have loved You still to. can. You can just gateway through Canada yeah. or Mexico. The Cuban you know, immigration is really good about not stamping passports if you don't want them to. It's a wild place. I went in February, like when you could get direct flights. But it, it had been on like my to-do list for mm-hmm. over a decade. It's a wild place. I've talked about it a bunch of times on air. I won't bore the listeners with it again. But seriously, if there's anywhere you need to go in this world, it's Cuba because it's just it's like a goddamn time capsule. I can see that. And there's just something to be said for being off-grid for fucking the whole time. There's no internet there. I actually read a really interesting article about the Cuban internet. It's fascinating what they have to do just to get what we considered top quality internet like back in like 94. Oh, it's crazy. You have to buy prepaid cards and there's only certain areas that they work. And, you know, it's like a laundromat is a Wi-Fi hotspot for the entire town that you're in and you can only get access at certain times. And, and it's all prepaid. It's, yeah. You're like, you have these scratch-off cards. <laughs> and like, that gives you so much time, and places will sell out of them. So when I was there, I literally just, my phone was a camera for the whole trip. Mm-hmm. I didn't even bother to try to get a prepaid card. I'm like, you know what? I'm on vacation. I'm just going to be off-grid. And there's something to be said for just fucking disconnecting. You and I are both old enough to you know, remember when you had to use pay phones and call people's houses, and if they weren't home, you were leaving them a message, and you'd try to connect with them later. Yeah. No more instant connectivity. There's something refreshing about that. Mm-hmm. There, there's something refreshing about not always being connected, not expecting that someone is going to instantly respond to you when you send them a, a message or a call. It's funny because we, 
we actually went through this this afternoon because um, we were sending out our the last of our, our holiday gifts to family and we were putting cards in with and I remembered back to when I used to I had a list and I would do like 150 handwritten holiday cards to family and friends and business associates and now I didn't even put that much news in the four cards that I wrote to family members because I've emailed all of them in the last week or so and we're constantly updating we're emailing photos back and forth and we constantly know what everybody is up to and oh it's definitely hurt interpersonal relationships I have friends from you know back east that I'll go six months without talking to because they're like dude I see what you do on social media yeah you know, I, I see what you're up to. There's no point. Like, I don't have to follow up with you. And that's, it sucks. Part of the reason that sucks is because I don't feel like anyone is really, truly honest on their social media. Everyone's putting out what they want to present to the world. Mm-hmm. And if you're people that you have, in theory, tight interpersonal relationships with are just going off that interpersonal relationship off of what you present versus actually having a conversation with you, that's fucked. Yeah. Well, it's also the the quality of what you're... Not so much the quality, but the level of what you're putting out there. Definitely. It's... You know, I went here and did this, but you don't really talk about the deep, you know, the deep feelings of it. Or it's like, for example, you know, I went to... New Orleans and did this and this and my family will will see that but what they're not seeing is that the time I spent there the two hours I spent in this little hole in the wall jazz bar remembering the time I spent in a very similar jazz bar with my grandfather 15 years before that and that never pops up in the social media yeah, and you, it'd be problematic to express that even if you wanted to. And yeah, and it's it, but for very select people in my life, it would be very meaningful. Definitely, I just you know hell I and there's things that you just don't post on social media. Like I have a story that happened last week that little while that's still being kind of resolved that I've called a handful of friends and told them, I'm like, I won't even text this because there doesn't need to be records of what went down. Mm -hmm. But if you're one of my friends who's just following my life on social media, you'll never know that this really pertinent thing happened. Yeah. That's fucked up. It's not really connecting with people. You know, people have thousands of friends for the audience at home. I totally air quoted there. But those aren't really your friends. They're just your sea of acquaintances. Yes. I feel like we're getting a little deep. Mm-hmm. Might need a refill for that. Uh, yeah, we could do that. We'll pause real quick because I think we both need ice. So we took another break. We refilled our glasses. Got and ice. Then all, got ice. And all of a sudden we started talking industry stuff off mic because we're been drinking and didn't think about actually sharing this conversation with you guys our fucking loyal audience 
So we're going to backtrack a little. And something that you said was that if you were going to go into the industry If now, you were a industry newbie, I would not recommend you coming into the industry unless you're willing to be a full production house for yourself. And I would disagree with that to an extent. If you're going to come into the industry now, you need to have multiple revenue streams. Definitely. I don't think it's a yes or no on producing your own content because some people are just not cut out for that. And it's that's when you find a friend who can help you out. Well, or you do that, or do you use leverage your shoots for other companies to build your brand as a cam performer and a feature dancer? All of the above skills that that I mean, there are about a dozen different ways you can make money in adult entertainment. Definitely. And and I think you should be hitting all 12 of them. I think you should be hitting four to six of them. Because everybody is not proficient enough to succeed at all 12. You're right. Some people will fall right the fuck off the pole. Yeah. I mean, if, if, if you lack, completely lack coordination, feature dancing isn't for you. That doesn't make you a bad person. That doesn't mean you won't succeed in an adult. It just means that one of your revenue streams should not be feature dancing. I definitely have worked with some girls that got out of stripping and got into you know porn to avoid being in strip clubs. They just weren't yeah. into the hustle of it. And they and, shouldn't go back to being feature dancers if that's not comfortable for them. And that's the thing. It's If your skill set tailors to feature dancing, then... Do that. If you're really good at talking to strangers, be a cam performer. If you're... Well, but with the cam performer, you really... You got to be good at talking to strangers and you also have to be disciplined enough to be on cam the same time. Well, but I think the discipline aspect applies no matter which path you choose. If you're not willing to put in the time you're not going to succeed whether it's as a clip producer, as a feature dancer, as a cam performer. There's I feel that's a slightly different muscle though. It's with camming you got to be there consistently for your regulars at a certain time and it almost becomes a 9 to 5. Right. But it's it's the same with feature dancing. You just have to be at the club from 5 p.m. till 2 a.m. on, you know, you commit to, how what, two, four weekends a month, whatever. Yeah. But that... It's a time commitment that varies depending on your situation. Right, but also during downtime when you're feature dancing, you get to explore cities. Yeah. They, you know, they feed you. There's... Wait, they feed you? Oh, yeah. Hmm. Hell, some strip clubs have really good kitchens. Oh, that I know. I didn't realize that the like the dancers actually ate there. Cause oh yeah. Oh, I haven't done a roadie gig in a while, but oh, I miss them sometimes. Because this again, back to the mainstream. I back in the day, I used to do a ton of work at the old Forum in Inglewood, and we would end up at 
a place called the Wild Goose. And no disrespect intended, but they were not the most attractive dancers. But the kitchen was decent, and the drinks were cheap. And the security was good. Hey, and, that's that's a winning combo right and there. And in that part of, the, of L.A., the security was good is a major selling point. Definitely. <laughs> uh, but to be... So we ended up there all the time after we'd do a Kings game, a Lakers game, a, a boxing show, whatever, and we would head over to the Wild Goose because it was a place where we could go where we didn't have to worry about you know, getting mugged. You know, we had secure parking. Our car would be there when we got out. We could get decent drinks and and get a bite to eat. And but yeah, uh, and you know, another story down the street from our studio, we had an amazing strip club for about six months. It's a place called Buck Wilds, and it. It was a cowboy-themed strip club that included topless bull riding. But You can't go wrong there. Well, you could go terribly wrong there, I mean, but it's still fun to watch. <laughs> well, it's terribly wrong for someone else. For me, it's great. Yes. Uh, but, and I don't know where they found him, what happened to him, but they just happened to stumble onto a an amazing chef and the food there just kicked ass. So that was our, our go-to post shoot, you know, journey after it's like we would, we would shoot scenes all day. And then like everybody would walk the two blocks down to the club. We would watch the girls do the topless bull, but we would eat really good food. And for those of you who are not in porn, uh, actually, for those of you who are in porn, production managers, producers, the secret to success, the secret to having happy performers, performers that love you to death, that want to come back and shoot from you all the time, is having a really good, when we're done, hey, let's go grab a bite to eat plan. Um uh, our our second plan is um, it's a place called Mr. Ramen down in Little Tokyo. Damn good bowl of soup, but when you've been working all day, just to go down there, nobody knows who you are. You walk in, you get a table. It's like ten bucks a bowl, if that. You get a beer, whatever, and it's just this really good bowl of really amazing ramen stop i'm getting fucking hungry here (laughs) but my point is you need a good all right we just finished up let's go wind down let's yeah let's go bond as people bond as people feed the machine because you burned a lot of fucking calories you burned a lot of calories if you're doing anal that day you might not have eaten that much coming into this and it's just a really good experience yeah it's, it's there's something to be said for just sharing a fucking meal sharing a drink cheers to that always that's what we try to do here is you uh-huh. know, bond drink have good times no it's it's super important it's super important that you know everyone gets to know each other not just 
here, show up, fuck, collect a paycheck, bye. I mean, to me, it's, we're all people. We're people, and we're a really small community, really. But we need to behave as people and as a community. And the more we can do that, the better it is for everything. Fuck yes. Fuck yes. Yeah, we we should be trying to step away from the high school drama that often happens. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. It's almost time for prom. Oh, boy. <laughs> I got my tux. My tux is sitting in a box over there, actually. Oh, okay. Actually, I'm probably actually going in character on the red carpet, but... Character? Well, no, I'm going to go as the rabbi I played in Jews Love Black Hawk. Oh, okay. Just because a lot of people have encouraged me to do it and thought I would get some really funny write-ups just walking the carpet as a rabbi. Now I'm conflicted. Why? Because I I have a great... And for those of you who have seen me walk the red carpet at award shows, I have... It's almost a fetish for the vintage tuxedo. Uh, Long, Long tails and everything? Haven't haven't done the tales. It's more. I mean, my personality. Um, late fifties through the sixties. So it's it's dinner jackets and everything. So I've I've got a great tux for for AVN this year. Um, but uh, for those of you who have followed me as a performer, I have appeared occasionally as Father Jim. Uh, I do have a full-blown priest. So, so now it's like, do I show up with you as the priest and the rabbi and and just beg for world peace? Right. Can we all get along? Can't we all just get along? Oh, that'd be a lot of fun. Shit. We might just... Now, you're going to do that for the record. Maybe we just walk the floor some afternoon doing that. I got to buy a bunch of Manischewitz before I do that because I can't, can't do AVN sober. Be totally against you know, what I stand for. I keep joking with Joanna. I'm like, do I actually have to sign this year? Has she given you doom? So I was there for when they did their first like release at a liquor store, and I showed up to drink a lot for free. They're doing the show in the next couple of weeks to actually bring some bottles and I sit down again. Because both Small Hands and Joanna have done the show in the past. This is going to be the first time I get to have them on as a couple. Small Hands was actually guest number one. Oh. We told weird strip club stories. Go back to episode one when we used to be the 288 podcast. Back when Draven Starr was still my co-host. Oh. I love Draven. I do too. I do too. Uh, it was good to see her. I actually went to a barbecue at her place like a week and a half ago. So I've, okay, she's off doing her thing. We have kicked around the idea of shooting together and just haven't made it happen yet. But we have to because no, you definitely should. Driven's yeah, an amazing performer. She is, and I feel bad because she was shooting for somebody else at our studio, and um, her husband was there and. She and I were sharing a little bit of bullet rye. And I didn't realize her husband was her husband. Because I'd never met him before. And to me, he was just like some dude coming up. Hey, 
can I have some of your good stuff? And it's like, no. No, dude, who are you? No, I totally and, get that. And, and then I found out after, it was just like, oh, that was Draven's, and now I feel like an asshole for like not giving him some too. Because she had, I had been out, I was shooting for somebody else that day, and I came back to the studio, and they were like on hour 12 or something. And, oh, that's the worst. Uh, it's it, it's a, a mutual friend of ours who tends to, he's an artist. And I Enough res- said. I respect that, but you need that. Somebody needs to be your time cop. And well, that's what a good PA should do is just fucking move yeah. shit along. And but unfortunately, he, as an independent, he doesn't have the full blown crew mm. to, you know, to have the production manager, to have the PAs, to have the. And he tends to drag things out. And that sucks because people will not want to work with him because they don't want to be stuck on set for a whole goddamn day. Yeah. Unless he's really throwing the cash around. Yeah, he ain't doing that. <laughs> yeah, that, that, he's just hurting himself. Again, it's the independent thing. He, the cash ain't there yet. So, But if he's not getting people in and out of set, he's just hurting himself because people will be like, I'm going to make rate and mm-hmm. then I'm going to be there all fucking day. Yeah. Or I could, you know, go work for somebody else and be in and out. I was on a wicked set a couple weeks ago and like I made some joke about it being like a, you know, Oh, I'm, I'm here before my call time. Cause I know how these things go. And like the director looked at me like the fuck you mean we run a professional set here. We'll have you out in two hours. Like we told you like, okay, my bad, my bad. Please Wait. don't kill me. Razor? Uh Stormy. Uh. I've known Stormy for years and she was just kind of like, really? Really? I'm like, I've never worked for you. I've just, we've been friends forever. <laughs> Stormy and I are casual acquaintances. Um, Brad and Jessica and I have become friends. Uh, Quasar and I are very close friends. If you haven't had him on the podcast. Uh, that's one of the things I need to set up. Like He... I don't know how much alcohol you want to pour into him. All the alcohol. <laughs> All of it. I'll, I'll get him a barf bag next to him. If, you know. Just get him an Uber, okay? Uh, I could do that too. Okay. Uh, but he... For those of you who follow Mike Quasar online, uh, yes, he's the bitter, sarcastic dad in this industry and for those of you who know him in person we love him for that he is genuinely one of the one of my best friends in this industry one of the nicest people i've ever worked with uh one of the most if he's on something that he doesn't have a overwhelming passion for he is probably the most efficient shooter I have ever met. No, I've been on a bunch of BA sets with him, and he just he knocks it out. Yeah, he he is a pro, a pro's pro, uh, and but I mean when he gets the opportunity to let his creative juices flow, they are phenomenal. 
uh, if if you ever get a chance to see something that someone just said, here, you've got a budget. We want you to make your movie. His stuff is fantastic. Um, and to be honest, the stuff where he says, okay, we need you to shoot four stepdaughters banging their stepdads while their uncles watch at a truck stop. He actually does that extremely well too he does everything yeah well uh there's a reason everyone hires him yeah you know people don't get hired in this business that they suck it's too it's too small well some people get hired to suck but (laughs) to suck not because they do suck yes it's a major difference uh, well there are also a couple of people who, who just suck who somehow manage to hang on in this but I feel they're few and far between. Yeah. A lot of times, they're, you know, they're very talented. They just suck. If you have no talent and you suck, you definitely will not survive. No. But we're actually at about that time. What time? Last call. Oh, boy. So where can we find you on the social medias and your various productions? Okay. Uh... Productions, the best place is severesexfilms.com. Uh, we're also available as Severe Sex and Severe Society on uh, Adult Empire, Hot Movies, Fetish Movies, ABN, and Game Link. And uh, as far as social media goes, I think think we have an instagram i don't know if they've killed us yet (laughs) we don't really exploit it the way we should but then again that's probably why we might still have an instagram uh but it's severe sex films on instagram uh on twitter fetish director capital f capital d uh and if you want the company line it's severe sex films on twitter uh, if you're interested in more of the dog stuff, little dude Clyde, he's got his own little Twitter. And the whole reason for that, um, when we first uh, brought him in as a foster, because of the medical issues, we were doing some fundraising to pay those bills. And we realized the easiest way to get information out about his progress and what we were going through was to give him a Twitter and uh, it makes perfect sense to me. So once he got healthy, it's like, well, you know, he's got a Twitter. He's got some followers. He's he probably has more followers than I do. I don't know about that. But um, but yeah, little dude Clyde's got his own little Twitter. And he, he talks about life with his brother and his sisters and being a dog in a porn company and just life in general. Um. And for those of you who haven't caught on to it, probably one of the great undiscovered Twitters, uh, and it hasn't been updated in a while, but we're going to get get him on that, is uh, Fluffer the Porn Plant. Um, he is the primary set decoration plant at our studio, and he uh, he loves this industry. He loves being a porn plant. Uh, he's a <laughs> 
bit miffed that Spiegler won't return his emails for representation because he realizes that well he's can't be a Spiegler girl but he could be a speak he could be the first Spiegler plant you know he 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 does a lot I mean if you look at who he's who's been on set with it's did Harvey Weinstein masturbate into him I hope not um but yeah fluffer the porn plant uh on twitter uh you'll see a lot of pretty girls with a really robust plant well yeah we definitely don't want girls with like a weak plant no no and for those of you who've been on porn sets you know frequently that's it's a semi-dead ficus it's something plastic (laughs) from target it hasn't been dusted since probably the you know the clinton administration it's oh i was about to say it since john holmes was on set (laughs) which is it's just about the same i I thought holmes was done well yeah i guess early clinton administration yeah I just rewatched Wonderland not too long ago. Great movie. Oh, yeah. Val Kilmer fucking kills it. Yes. Although, you know, Boogie Nights is still the best porn, mainstream movie about oh. porn. Yeah, yeah. Wonderland's not really about porn. It just happens to be about About, John. A, about a porn performer. but it, it, In a really weird situation. Oh, yeah. That whole thing, if you've never watched Wonderland, the whole thing is true crime and stranger than fiction. Yes. And there's a, I mean, rewatching it, there's a couple parts that are a little, a little overacted, a little cheesy. For the audience at home that is probably aware of this, I sadly have become hypercritical about films recently. A friend of mine sends me his scripts to critique and analyze and it's I've been having problems turning that off when I watch movies recently which has been killing some enjoyment for some movies I really used to love mm-hmm. but needless to say for the most part that's it's still a really interesting film and especially if you delve into the true crime facts about it you know the Wonderland murders Eddie Nash all that stuff it's, it's fucking crazy yeah and once again, we went on another tangent as we're doing sign-offs. Oh. Which, which gets me to a quick question. What's up? Favorite movies. Oh, goddamn. That is a super rough question. So for me, what I consider a favorite movie is a movie that whenever it comes on, I will watch it. Because obviously, you look at my wall. I like mm-hmm. I love movies. You do. Pulp Fiction. I'll watch Pulp Fiction whenever it comes on. Mm-hmm. I may be that asshole who's reciting lines along with it. Strange Days. Catherine Bigelow, written by James Cameron. There's definitely some like 90s cheesiness to it, but the overall like dark themes. Yeah. Have you seen it? I have not, but oh. now I will. So the plot is Ralph, uh, Ray Fiennes plays a drug dealer of the future. Like This movie takes place in 1999, came out in 94 or 95. Okay. He's an ex-vice cop that sells clips, which they sell. They have a thing that record, records people's memories from their cerebral cortex and can be played back where you feel everything the wearer 
Okay. So it's super porn. And that's what he does. He sells this. And there's a murder mystery that becomes involved with it. Ray Fiennes, Angela Bassett, um, Tom Sizemore, when Siz- before Sizemore went really crazy. Directed by Catherine Bigelow of the Hurt Locker fame. Written by James Cameron because they were still married at the time. Okay. It's a great film. Really dark cyberpunk themes. It takes place over New Year's Eve 1999 before Y2K happened. And okay. Yeah. <laughs> before we realized, oh. You, did you realize that we're just days away from the fact that people who were born in the 2000s will be in porn legally. Yeah, yeah. It kind of fucks me up. <laughs> I mean, I'm super happy that I'm of the age that I can legally fuck someone half my age. I am actually contemplating grandpa porn at this point. Because... <laughs> If you do the math and have some promiscuous teenagers, I am old enough to be the grandfather of performers. Uh, This is definitely a thing. I hope so, because I need the money. (laughs) (laughs) As much as I enjoy this industry, I still got to pay bills. Yeah. Food's not going to you know, yeah. just hand itself to you. E- even as a vegan, I still have to buy those fruits and vegetables. Hell, it's more expensive. In some ways it is, yeah. It's... So, sidetracking on the vegan thing, have you been to Doomies? I have not. I heard about Doomies from Frank Mir and Richard Hunter, who do phone booth fighting. Okay. It's an MMA podcast. I've been on it. They're friends of mine. Frank is the two-time UFC World Heavyweight Champion. Okay. Like avid meat eater. Richard, his broadcast partner, is a vegan. There is a place in LA called Doomies where Frank swears their cheese you know, their vegan cheeseburger is so good that if all vegan food tasted like that, he would go vegan. Okay. So I I wanna check it out. Like I'm so whenever I come across someone who's Well, apparently there's this new thing called the Incredible Burger. Hmm. That has just been developed and is is getting exposure and we need to hunt that down here in la and and give it a shot someone needs to give me a blind taste test to be like here's a real burger here's the incredible burger can you tell the difference and and to be honest on some of the the substitutes like i we found a a ground beef substitute that's pretty damn it's close enough that we don't notice it in tacos, in you know, in cooked meals. Uh, we found chicken nuggets that are more than passable. Yeah, there's there's some things that we'll probably never replicate, like a full steak. Yeah, but if you're not, my approach to it is is never been to go for exact duplication is can you give me a meal that's plant-based that kind of hits the some of the high points and is tasty in its own right that's fair that's fair i i'll eat anything if it's cooked properly but i like bloody red meat 
I used to love bloody red meat. I probably would have problems eating it at this point, but uh, I, I think the the real turning point for me was actually uh, AVN last year. What happened? Uh, we we had a a pitch the pitch dinner for corrupted by the evils of Edgeborn. And we had decided that we wanted Casey Warner to take the female lead. So we took her to dinner at Nobu at the Hard Rock. And Casey and Dee are both vegan. So they have a tasting menu. And it's a wonderful experience because you you tell your waiter, okay, I we want the tasting menu and these are the parameters. So if you're, you know, if you don't like red meat, if you're, if you like red meat, but have a seafood allergy, if you, you know, whatever, you know, meal food specifications you have, you give those to your waiter and they bring you, I think it's 14, like little small Small plates, small plates that fit those parameters. So, uh, D and Casey did vegan. I, mine was, uh, vegan or vegetarian and seafood. So pescatarian. I'd be really, really amazed if they could bring me small 14 small plates that once had hopes and dreams. Uh, but it was, it was a phenomenal meal and it's like, okay, it's possible to do this thing and still have really good, tasty food. Oh, it definitely is. I'm just, I like meat. Mm-hmm. And I haven't met a woman who's, you know, been strong enough to break me of it. So, because that's the only way that's ever going to happen is yeah. I get involved with someone and, you know, the brain chemistry makes me so in love with her that I give up red meat. Hasn't happened yet. May never happen. And it- you may never give it up, but if you can scale it back. Why would I want to do that? Because it's good for you, good for the planet. Yeah, that's fair. Rather than red meat seven days a week, maybe really good red meat once a week. I would rather just have really good red meat seven days a week. Okay. <laughs> I just need to be more successful. There you go. Oh, the talk of Kobe earlier, by the way, like there's a place in Tokyo. I know that's across the street from the Ritz Carlton in Roppongi for about 45 us for two hours is all you can eat. Teppanyaki, including Kobe sashimi. Okay. These are the things that make me mm-hmm. really I, happy. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a bad vegan because all you can eat really good sushi is still my downfall. That's, I mean, fish are no more smart than vegetables. It's okay. Hell, vegetables are smarter than fish in some cases. It's true. Okay. That there's study. Uh, I may have heard this on a podcast, not an actual study, but there are, ve- there are, if plant- they say it on the internet, it has to be true. Doesn't it? I'm not going down that rabbit hole. (laughs) Ooh, no, 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 no. But there are some plants that 
when caterpillars eat them, release a scent to the other plants to make themselves, that causes them to be a bad flavor to their predator. I've never heard that. It makes sense. And all of a sudden it's like, wait a second, if plants are sentient and fish aren't, meat is sentient, what do we eat? Fish. Fish are dumb. Fish are dumb. Fish are really stupid. I mean, okay. They're like, oh, shiny. Oh, whoops, I'm hooked. <laughs> yeah, the problem is the the fish supply has some issues. Oh, well, once again, commercial anything with yes. agriculture is the real problem. Yes. Well, um, and combine that with there's just too many of us monkeys. There are too many of us pleasure monkeys on this planet. Stop breeding. Do your part. I that's my message. <laughs> Please stop breeding. Breed in a responsible manner. Yeah, don't. That's the responsible part. There's billions of us. Yes. Are you so egotistical that you really need a mini you running around? <laughs> Fuck no. Mini me scares the crap out of me. <laughs> oh, I never plan on breeding. Never. No, we 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 have have gone down that path. I mean, I I love my nieces and nephews to death, but don't need a set of them for my own. I'm right there with you. Like, I spoil the hell out of my niece because she is definitely going to float my body down the Ganges one of these days. Because <laughs> that's my only hope. I hope like when shit gets really fucked up, she puts me in a good home. <laughs> I mean, we're we're sort of counting on my sister to like do that for my mom. Betsy, you, you do realize that mom's your responsibility when it all goes south. Betsy, if you listen to the show, he she says. doesn't. She's, well, that, that's a discussion for another day. Fair enough. My my mother and my sister actually do listen to the show. Oh. See, my mother would probably listen. Uh, she's been, from day one, has been incredibly supportive and understanding. She, every so often, will say, I don't need to know that much. But in terms of, you know, what we're doing, she's, if that's what you chose to do with your life, then good for you, and I will support you and do what I can to help you. In 90 shows, my mother has only been offended so much to turn it off once. And that was with comedian Sam Tripoli. And me and Sam just bullshitted. Yeah, we talked a lot of comedy. But she felt he was so misogynistic that she's like, I couldn't listen to it. Uh Like These things happen. I I feel in, in 90 shows, if I only offended my mother turning off once, that I may be fucking up. You're... <laughs> Or you got a really cool mom. No, I actually really do have a really cool mom. My mom was a dom when I was a teenager, like for funds, not <laughs> not for profit. Okay. Like she was a lifestyle dom, not a for profit dom. I've told this story on air a bunch of times. So like she had a rack in her living room and my cousins came by her place at one point she threw a sheet over it. She's like, don't tell them what that is. Because <laughs> a sheet is plenty of, Obscu- obscu- it'll obfuscate it they have no idea there we go 
no idea what where that, I was going with that. Yeah, exactly. Then when we actually wrap, I'll actually go pull one of her toys because I inherited all her toys when she stopped. Ah. And she had some really quality, like, toys made. Oh. And, I mean, from as a lifestyle player and as a professional, we've inherited and or bought out a number of studios and pro doms that have retired, moved on, downsized, whatever. And it's one of my favorite things because you get this amazing energy and like life force from these items that have been possessed by someone else who really got pleasure from them. And now they're yours and you get to get pleasure from them. Well, it's kind of crazy because I remember being a teenager and going into a leather shop with her when she was having the stuff commissioned. Okay. And it's just like, did not comprehend where I was at the time. I'm just kind of <laughs> like, where am I? And my mom's in a leather shop having custom toys made. It's like, okay, cool. This is where we're at. So I'm, you know, I'm kind of been in, fell into this shit at a young age, I guess. Wow, we were trying to rap, but eh, whatever. <laughs> yeah, a little bonus content for you. Exactly. You it's, a, it's not like we have to go to the next show. You know, we're not on terrestrial radio where someone else is trying to get in the studio at the moment. I totally forgot where we were going with that. <laughs> I think we were wrapping up. We were. So now that we're back to wrapping up. If you don't know already, you can find me at Matt underscore Slayer on Twitter, Matt Slayer on Instagram, Matt F and Slayer on Facebook, Matt Slayer on Snapchat. You can find the podcast at And Now We Drink on Twitter at Now We Drink underscore on Instagram because someone else stole And Now We Drink. www.andnowwedrink.com. <laughs> Same old shit. We're going to keep bringing it to you every fucking week, guys. Keep tuning in. We appreciate your support. We appreciate you listening. We love our drinking buddies. Until next time, cheers all. Oh, clink. <laughs> <laughs>